My mother used to sew. Most of my shirts growing up, she made. In fact, she made almost all of my shirts until my daughters were born, and then she never made me anything else. She just made stuff for them. I don't know how that works. Anyway, she made some really nice shirts. I, I, when I grew up, there, and I don't know if it was true here in Missouri, but, but uh, where we lived, the, the Western style of shirt was really a big deal. And, and she made some really sharp shirts. I mean, they look really good. In fact, I still have some of the flannel shirts, which have actually come back into style now. Uh, the corduroy bell bottoms I used to wear, I have to wait a little while on those, but uh, there, she did a really good job. And, and when my mom would, would sew... Uh, she would make me come and watch her, or, or more specifically, she wanted me in the room so she could keep her eye on me and make sure I didn't get into anything. So I would watch while she was going through the process of, of creating my shirts. And she would have these very thin pieces of paper that she would lay over the material and pin it to the material. And, and, and the pieces of paper had lines and, and, and measurements and, and little notches with letters by them. And she would very carefully cut along those lines. And then as she would get each one of the pieces made, she would match the little notches with the little arrows where they were supposed to go. And all of that showed her exactly how to piece together the shirt. Now, I'm I suspect my mother, as many shirts as she made through the years, she probably could have done it without the pattern. But using the pattern made it much more efficient, much easier, and made the shirt come out much better. The disciples needed a pattern. Now, what they were about to do was much more complicated than just make a new shirt. They were from a diverse set of backgrounds. You had some fishermen. You had a... a, political zealot, you had a tax collector, and all of them were following this fellow that the only training, at least in human terms, he'd had was as a carpenter. Finding common ground amongst them was a bit of a problem. But Jesus solves that issue just as he does all of the complications we face in life. He gives the disciples the pattern. It's found here in John chapter 15. We're going to start reading in verse 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. This morning I want to challenge you. To do something that sounds tremendously simple, it is very straightforward. It's the hardest thing that we'll ever do, and yet it's the most exciting thing you can do in life. Follow the pattern we have in Jesus. Now let's take a look at this this morning. What's Jesus describing as as he he calls for us to follow this this pattern? Well, the the pattern's pretty big. It's pretty amazing. Jesus tells his disciples and us to love each other the way Jesus loves you. Now, that's one of the more familiar statements of Christ. And the next statement's even more familiar than that there in verse 13. Greater love is no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. 
Now, in the passage that we looked at last week, Jesus defined the source of our joy, that joy is found in keeping the command of Christ and in remaining in the Father's love. We looked at that last week. And that definition grew out of a passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, what's often called the vine passage, where Jesus identifies in verse 5 of John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not only our joy, but our success in life and even our very life is determined by this connection we have with Jesus. Abiding in him is crucial. In fact, it's absolutely essential. And so now here in verse 12, Christ comes full circle with this this set of instructions that he's been giving throughout John chapter 15 with this simple command. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus identifies himself both as the source and the measure of the love that the disciples were to have for each other. If they were ever to have a question about how they should love, how they should express that love in their life, or if they ever wondered what that love should look like, they need look no farther than what they had experienced in Christ. Now, the form of the words that Jesus uses, they go beyond, you know, sometimes we kind of just put up with each other. (laughs) You know, you just kind of figure out a way to get along. Well, Jesus goes way beyond that here. Literally, the words mean keep on loving each other. As one commentator puts it, Jesus summarizes all of his commands and all of his instructions into this one to love, and I like the way this commentator puts it, to love habitually. Make it a habit. It's it's the default of what you do in any situation. It's, It's how you respond to life with loving each other. As Jesus has loved us. Then Jesus provides the greatest example of all. You know, that's good teaching. When you you teach a principle and then you you give an example. You know, that's the way we learn things. We, We hear them and then when we see them, we can actually put them into practice. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He gives the greatest example of all. Of what this love is to be. How are we supposed to treat each other? How are we supposed to live with each other? What are we supposed to do in response to each other? When we rub each other the wrong way, how do we react? Well, Jesus says, here's the example. (laughs) Me. Love each other, Jesus says. In the same way I've loved you. And then, then he describes that love in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. 
Now realize, when the disciples heard this, they're not going to fully understand what Jesus means for several days. Because the cross for them was still in the future. But that day would come. When for most of them from a very long way away, because they were afraid to get too close, they would look there on Calvary and they would see Jesus on the cross. And finally, as he was resurrected and everything finally fell into place, they would realize that he was on that cross for them. Even though they had abandoned him. Remember when they came to arrest Christ, everybody went to the four winds. They ran away. Even Peter, the strongest of the disciples, denied even knowing Christ. And, and yet, Jesus died for them. He laid down His life for them. They didn't deserve it. They didn't do anything that would merit His doing that for them. And yet, He did it anyway. And that was the love that He commanded them to have for each other. That's tall order. That would be like me walking into a baseball stadium with Matt Carpenter. And him handing me a bat and saying, Here, go, go hit a baseball like me. Or walking onto the golf course with, with Jordan Speed. And him saying, Okay, go, go drive that golf ball, just like I do. Or walking up here on the platform with Molly and Joshua and them saying, okay, play the piano like we do. <laughs> I'd probably do better with baseball and golf. <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty terrible at all of those. I, I, I can't come anywhere close to, to playing on that level. And I'm guessing that that's a little how the disciples felt when they heard these words from Jesus. Even though they wouldn't fully understand the full extent of what he was saying until after the cross. Even at this moment when he was saying, hey, love each other like I love you. <laughs> they were thinking, I can't come anywhere close to that. I, I, I'm guessing that's a, a little bit of, of what they felt. Maybe a little bit of what you're feeling this morning. I know it's what I feel like when I read these words of Jesus. Love others the way that Jesus loves me. I don't even really like them very much. How am I supposed to love them like Jesus loves them? Well, for starters, I remember throwing the football out in my backyard. I didn't have a lot of kids that lived on the block where where I lived growing up. So there were several times that my football games consisted of me. And that was it. Now, now most of that was imaginary, of course, but I did score a lot of touchdowns. And, and when I did, I was throwing the football like my football hero, Roger Staubach. 
I was running the ball like Calvin Hill, and I was catching the ball like Drew Pearson. Okay, those guys are from so far back. Some of you are going to have to Google that reference to get what it is, but just trust me. I felt like I was playing like some of the best of the best in the NFL. When you set out to live your Christian life, to, to be a disciple, What do you imagine in your mind? What do you see yourself doing? Or put it another way, what's your goal? What are you shooting for? What's the ultimate? When you set out tomorrow on Monday morning and in your mind you're thinking, I want to live the best Christian life I can live. When I go to my job, when I go to my school, when I go do whatever it is I'm going to do. What are you imagining that to look like? What if our goal was to be like Jesus? Well, we know we're supposed to do that. We we realize that's the ultimate And then in our mind, we're thinking, I can never live up to that. There's just no way. But then Jesus makes it very simple for us. He says, be my friend. Listen to verse 14. Uh, This is a a verse, those, those first part of this passage... Very familiar verses. We, we, we talk about those a lot. You know, uh, greater love has no man than this, and to lay down his life for his friends. You know, we, we've heard that over and over again. But sometimes this one gets left out. And, and I think possibly because it, it's a little bit misunderstood because it, it almost sounds like it backtracks from, from, from the power and the grandeur of those words because we misunderstand one of the words in this verse. But, but here it is. Here's what it says. You are my friend. You're my friends if you do what I command. Now, what did Jesus mean here? This is an amazing statement. Now, we think of that word friend, you know, as the guys we pal around with or, you know, we kind of have a a nonchalant uh, understanding of of that, that word. And some of the connotations there actually are included here, but it goes way beyond that. In the Old Testament, only two people are called A friend of God. Abraham and Moses. The two most prominent figures in Jewish history. Two guys, Abraham and Moses. That's it. Not David. Not Samuel. Not Joshua. There's some pretty big guys in the list of Old Testament folks who aren't given this designation of a friend of God. And now Jesus is extending this extraordinary privilege to me and to you. What does all that mean? Well, well, first of all, this is an ongoing relationship. The words that Jesus uses 
It means that we continue to be Jesus' friend. That's one of the the things that sometimes we, we lose in this English word friend. Our friends kind of change through the years sometimes. You know, we grow up with some people and they're our friends, and then we kind of lose track and go our separate ways, and then we have some friends in, in our college years, and you know, then we lose track, and, and, and then we have some more friends that come along, and then maybe we move to another location, and, and we lose track of those friends. And they, they don't stop being our friends, but the, the relationship isn't as close. It's not quite the same. And, you, know, you, you get back together, and you don't really know what to talk about. You, you know what I mean. That, that's kind of the understanding that we have of a friend. This term that Jesus uses, that's not the way it is. It's not defined by... Geography is not defined by the place you are in your life. It's an ongoing, unending relationship. As we do what he commands. Now notice, it's not that our relationship with Christ or our eternal security is tied to this as we're doing what he commands. Or or the things that we do somehow determine whether or not our eternal relationship goes on. That's not what Jesus is describing here. Our, our eternity is 100% dependent on what Jesus did. What we did, there's nothing we could do to make that right. We, we could not make ourselves right with God. Jesus had to accomplish that for us. He did accomplish that for us. And that is a done deal. But we still seek to do what Jesus wants us to do, right? I mean, you know, that's why we're here this morning. We want to do what Jesus wants us to do. Why? Because we're trying to make it into heaven? Well, if that's the case for you, if you're doing this hoping somehow you're going to scratch your way into the pearly gates, I'd really like to talk to you after the service. Because you don't have to do that. Jesus has already taken care of it for you. And I would love to share with you why. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But for most of us here, we know that's not why we're here this morning. We're not trying to be good enough to get into heaven. We know we can't do that. We know that Christ has has already taken care of that. He's paid for our sin. You know, we've accepted him as Lord and Savior. That's a done deal. But we're still here today trying to do what he wants us to do. Why do we do that? Because he's our friend. Now, we don't deserve that. By the way, neither did Abraham and Moses. Even they didn't deserve to be friends of God. God grants this extraordinary reality to us through his grace. But in his mercy, in his love, in his grace, I'm a Friend of God. You'll do things for a friend you won't do for other folks. If some stranger called you up in the middle of the night and said, I've got a flat tire, could you come pick me up? You would hang up the phone. <laughs> Somebody you don't know calling you out of the blue, telling you to come help them, you're in all likelihood, you're going to think that's a crank call or you're just, you know, you're not going to do that. But if a close friend calls you and says, hey, I, I, you know, I'm broken down here by the side of the road, I've got a flat tire, could you help me out? 
you're going to hop out of bed and go help them. What's the difference? The relationship. You're their friend. If you want to go out to dinner, you're not just going to open the phone book and pick a name, call them up and say, hey, want to go grab a steak? You're not going to do that. And if you did, they would think you were nuts. They probably wouldn't go with you. But a close friend, you fire up the grill, throw the steaks on, invite them over. What's the difference? The relationship. They're your friend. Why do we follow Christ? Why do we obey Him? Now, it would be enough, quite frankly, to do so just because He's God. He's our Creator. He made us. If He says so, I'm going to do it. That would be enough. But in His grace and mercy, there's so much more. We follow Christ not out of trying to work our way into heaven because we realize that's something we could not do. We follow Christ because He paid the price so that we might one day be in heaven. Something only He could do. Our obedience doesn't come out of some sense of obligation or, or some sense of trying to make God owe us something. God, if I do this for you, you've got to do this for me. That's not how friends treat each other. We seek to obey Christ because He saved us. We seek to obey His command because He laid down His life for us. He forgave us. And He has made us His friend. If we can understand this, it will transform how we do discipleship. Because so often we do things as believers kind of out of a sense of duty. We get up in the morning and it's time to do our daily devotion. So we do it. And oh yeah, I'm supposed to pray. So we do that. And oh, it's Sunday morning at 8.30. Time to go to church. So we do that. We just kind of do things out of a sense of I'm obligated to do this, so I guess I'll go do it. What? What if our Christian life, instead of just a sense of obligation, instead of just a sense of duty, became a time to be with our greatest friend? You know how you're working all week long and you're you're watching the clock and you're waiting for Friday to finally get here because you know you and your friends are going to go play golf on Saturday. And, and, And you know it just kind of gets you through the week. You do all the stuff you got to do uh, 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 during the week because you know, hey, on Saturday, I'm going to get to hang out with my friends. What if that's the way it was with Jesus? 
What if coming to church wasn't a sense of obligation or duty? It was time to come be with our friend. What if sharing Christ was not some weird kind of strange thing that we got to make ourselves to do, but we're just telling our other friends what our best friend did? Realize the power of what Jesus says in these words. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Heavenly Father, help us to catch the power of these words. That not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but out of your grace and mercy, you have made us your friend. God, help us to live our life that way. Forgive me when I do the things that you've commanded me to do just out of some sense of obligation or duty. God, help me to, to see that it is the opportunity to be with you. To do the things that are pleasing in your sight. To do the things that make you smile. Not because I have to, but because you're my friend. God, help us all to love each other the way you love us, to recognize the sacrifice you have made for us when you laid down your life for us, and to recognize that we are your friend when we do as you command. Help us, Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.